We're in chapter 19, and we saw the previous chapter, uh, Eliyahu Hanavi has this dramatic confrontation with the 450 false prophets of the Baal, and Eliyahu wins that confrontation big. And we see at the end of the chapter, Ahav, King Ahav is on his chariot, on his way back to his northern residence in Yisraela, and he's got to tell his wife, Izevel, all that transpired there at Har Carmel, and she's eagerly waiting to hear the news. And that's how we open up chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and all that he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. Well, verse 1 is very cumbersome because you have three times the word all. All that Elijah had done, all that he had killed, all of the prophets. It's not going to read smoothly. And so why do we have the word all so many times? Well, because everything that happened there at Har Kamel was major. First of all, all that Elijah had done, that he brought fire from the heavens, that the people did tshuva, and, and all said, Hashem hu elokim, and then the rain came after a three-year drought. And of course, that he had killed all of the prophets, not every single one of them, not one escaped out of the 450. So that's epic. Every one of those uh, events is, is an epic event, and therefore, we have the word kol, sherasa, all that he did, three separate times in that verse. So let's see uh, Jezebel's reaction. I mean, she, she's not going to be happy about this. So it says in verse 2, And Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do, and so may they continue. And that's just an introductory vow, an expression of an oath before you want to say something that you really want to emphasize. And Here's what she wants to say. At this time tomorrow, I will make your life like the life of one of them. In other words, what she's saying is, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you're going to be dead. Well, that's expected. Um, the only question left to ask on the verse is, why does she, does she say at this time tomorrow? Why, why does she wait? She's only giving Elijah a chance to escape. Well, the answer is probably that she sees that Achav is all psyched. I mean, he's telling her everything went that happened over there, and he's enthused. He's in Eli- he's with Elijah, and so she wants that enthusiasm to wane. And so she says, "Let's wait till tomorrow. Let everything get back. You know, everybody get back to their routine, and then that enthusiasm will fade, and then she'll be able to do what she has to do." And so it says in verse three. So it says, he saw, he arose, and he went for his life. That is Elijah. He saw, arose, and he ran for his life. He flees now. And it says, He comes to Beersheva, which belongs to Yehuda. And he left his servant there. Well, verse 3, we got to dissect three different parts. First of all, what is it that he saw? It should say, He got up and he, and he went. What did he see? Well, Rabbi Kahana in his Perusha Maccabee says that what he saw was, he saw that the Jewish people weren't behind him, that he's alone again, that Jezebel's going to chase him down. And even though all the people did tshuva, last chapter, and they all screamed, Hashem Hu Elohim, and it looked like he brought them back, now that it comes to the Tachlis, 
it's all lip service and he's alone. He's got no backing and he's going to have to run. That's what he saw. And the question is, why did he flee? Well, simply stay, stay, uh, stated by the Ralbag, he doesn't want to depend on miracles because a Jew doesn't depend on miracles. Jezebel has an army behind her. He's just as, got himself. And therefore, he can't expect hocus-pocus miracles and therefore he must flee. And the Abarbanel, the Abarbanel gets a little deeper into it and he asks, uh, and I'll read a little in Hebrew, why was Eliyahu afraid of Jezebel, but he wasn't afraid of Ahab? Because we see the, uh, a, a few times he spoke to Ahab and spoke to him straight straight to his face in the last chapter, in the previous chapter. He confronted Ahab alone, rebuked him. But Ezebel, he's running. Well, the Abarbanel says that when he went to Ahab, last chapter, if you re- if you remember the beginning of the chapter, uh, God gave him a commandment, to show yourself to Echav. So therefore, he was pretty sure he was going to get divine protection and he's on a mitzvah mission and therefore he won't be hurt. And the Abarbanel adds, and also, Achav is different than Izevel. I mean, Achav, if you look at him throughout the, the scripture, we'll see in the narrative that he's, he's a cultured, civilized person. He's not the kind of person who's just going to kill Elijah upon seeing him and because he's civilized, Elijah was never afraid of that. But Izevel, Jezebel, well, she's a different story, and therefore he feels he must flee. Now, the Malbim has a totally different take on it. And according to the Malbim, the reason that Elijah uh, splits is because, and I'll read the Malbim, that he fled because he was, a, he wouldn't, um, meditate most of his life and and complete his soul. That is, he was into personal spiritual growth. And he went off to the mountains now to meditate. Only in certain times of need was he a Navi that, w- that was sent to the people. And that, now that he saw that everything he did, he did everything he could possibly do. In the end, the results weren't, weren't so great because we see the Jewish people aren't, aren't uh, helping him out here. So he said he's going to just go back to because he won't be able to um, fix the problems of the Jewish people. He's just going to now fix himself and become uh, spiritually greater. And so he was going off to meditate. And that's interesting that, you know, meditation didn't start with the Buddhists and the Indians. Uh, it started with the, with Jews. And we saw also in the last chapter, uh, the Abarbanel says that when Elijah was praying for rain and he had that, um, that prophetic uh, position where his head was between his legs, crouching, he was also meditating. So, yeah, we used to meditate in those days, and um, that's how they came to prophecy. So, so he flees, and he goes to Beersheba. Now, it says Beersheba belonged to Judea. Now, it's true that Beersheba is from the tribe of Shimon. That's their portion. And Shimon mixed in with the tribe of Yehuda. So that would make sense that Elijah is running to an area that is not under the jurisdiction of Ahab. He's going to the area of Judea. But... What uh, seems to contradict that, there's a verse in Amos, the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, and he prophesied during the days of the ten tribes. And he has a verse, 
in chapter 5, verse 5, and it says that, do not seek Beitel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will go into exile and Beitel will be reduced to nothing. So there Amos is talking about the eventual exile and destruction of the ten tribes and he includes Beersheba as one of those uh, cities of the ten tribes. So if you go by that verse, then this is then uh, Beersheba is in the jurisdiction of um, Achav. So there's a little dispute there. In any case, that's where he goes and he leaves his servant there because he's going to now continue onward to the next stop and he doesn't want his servant to drag along with him an endangerous servant. So it says in verse 4, And he went to the desert a distance of one day's travel and he sat under a shrub or a, uh, it's a, a type of tree that you see in the desert, a, a juniper tree, small kind of shrub. And he, he requested that his soul die. He said, enough now God, take my soul. I am not better than my forefathers. So we see here in this verse that uh, Eliyahu goes off into the desert and it is the tree that he's sitting under, according to the sages, hardly hardly gives him enough shade to cover his entire body. So he's suffering. And so the simple understanding is he wants to die because he's suffering, he's hungry, he's being pursued. They're trying to kill him. So he says, Shem, just take me because I don't want Jezebel to take me. But we see the despair here. And when he says, I am not better than my forefathers. What's he saying? Well, Rabbi Kahana says that what he's saying is that since my forefathers, all the prophets before me weren't able to change the situation, how am I expected to change the situation here? So um, the other uh, comment that the Radak adds in his perush on this verse is what does he mean, I, I'm not better than my forefathers? So the Radak says the following, that it looks to be that Eliyahu lived much longer than his forefathers. And that's proof that Pinchas is Eliyahu. So the Radak is learning from this verse that it seems to be that Eliyahu is very old because he says, why should he be Why should he be better than my forefathers so I should die now, which, which means he's older than them. And therefore he's lived a long time. And therefore that's proof that he's Pinchas because we do have that idea that Pinchas is Eliyahu and Pinchas lived from the Chumash days. So that means Eliyahu is very old. And we had discussed that uh, in a previous shur at, in uh, chapter 17, what tribe is Elijah from? Is he from the tribe of Levi? Because it says he's Pinchas. But then we saw ideas that he could be from the tribe of Benjamin. We saw that clearly in the Talmud, uh, that he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Some say he's from the one of the th- tribes of the East Bank, because Eliyahu Giladi, and Giladi is over in the East Bank of the Jordan. So this is a dispute there. In any case, let's go on to verse 8. No, explain it to verse 5. Verse 5. And he lay and he slept underneath the bush or the, the juniper tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Rise and eat. So he's wakened by an angel. And the angel is telling him to get, to go and eat, and it's not only a commandment to eat, but he's giving a commandment to live. Because Elijah says, "I don't want to live," and he's telling him, "No, you you're going to live, and you're going to eat." And it says in verse seven, "Vayibet," and he looked, 
He looks and there's a cake baked on hot coals and a flask of water. So just like he was being fed by the ravens at the brook of Crete, now he's getting fed by an angel in the uh, desert. And he ate and he drank and again he laid down. So he eats, goes back to sleep. But if you notice the um, the words, the verbs, as they're stated here, are very choppy. It's a very um, short and and repetitive to to, uh, to give it over that way. So the narrative is, let's say, call, we'll call it choppy. And verse 8, later on, he got up and he ate and he drank. Why is it presented that way? Uh, everything he's doing is written in this choppy fashion. And so what the narrative is telling us that Elijah is very lethargic. When you see verses like that, verbs given over that way, that shows he's lethargic. He doesn't have much cheshek what he's doing, so it's kind of drawn out the way it's written here. So it says um, in verse 7, Vayeshav malach Hashem, and the angel of the Lord returned to him, Vayigabo, and touched him, Vayomer, and he said, Kum, arise, Echol, and eat, because the way is much before you. That is, you're going to about to embark on a long journey and you're going to need nourishment. So finish eating. That means in verse 6, that food that he was given, it says he ate it, but he apparently didn't even finish it. Went back to sleep and now the angel is saying, wake up because you're going to need to finish that uh, food there because you got a long way ahead. So it says in verse 8, Vayakam, Vayochal, Vayishteh, Vayalech. Again, four wor- verbs of moving without cheshek, uh, no zeal in his emotions. And he got up and he arose and he ate and he drank. It's kind of a sign of depression, lethargic. And with the strength of that food he ate, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he got to the mountain of the Lord in Chorev. Now Chorev is another name of Mount Sinai. So Elijah has arrived to Mount Sinai by going 40 days and 40 Nights in the desert, and all this is all this is, of course, reminiscent to the Jewish people, who also went forty years in the desert, and it's also more reminiscent, we could say, to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu in Exodus uh, chapter twenty-four, verse eighteen, it says that he also he um, was on Mount Sinai forty days and forty nights. So this is very reminiscent to Moshe Rabbeinu, and we're gonna have to see why there are gonna be parallels here to Moses. Har Sinai, 40 days, 40 nights. And let's go on verse 9. Vayavo Sham, and he came there. El Me'ara, to a cave. Vayalen Sham, and he, he lodged there. And this is also reminds us of when Moses was in the cleft of the rock, in, also in the book of Exodus in chapter 33, in Pashat that he was also in the cleft of the rock and the glory of, of Hashem passes before him. This kind of reminds us of that. Again, Elijah is um, in a parallel situation that Moses was, and certainly there's an a educational message that's going on here. Maybe we'll learn it as we go along. And then Hashem speaks to him, and he says to him, Malacha po Eliyahu, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, what kind of question is that? Hashem knows everything. Well, it could be like the kind of question that Hashem asked Adam. You know, the, when Adam sinned, he said, Ayeka, where are you? I mean, what, what does that mean, where are you? He means, where are you holding? Spiritually, where are you at? 
And that could be what Hashem is saying to Elijah. It's kind of a rhetorical question. The Malbim, though, takes it literally and he says, what are you doing, Elijah? That is, what are you doing here, Elijah? Your place is among the Jewish people, preaching and rebuking the Jewish people, not uh, spending your time in seclusion. So that's how the Malbim understands this verse. Verse 10, Vayomer. And let's see what Elijah answers. Kano kineti Lashem. I have been zealous for the Lord. Elokates Fakot, the God of hosts. Ki azvu britcha b'nei Yisrael. For the children of Israel left your covenant. They destroyed your altars. And of course we saw that last chapter when Eliyahu had to fix the, the ruined altar. An example of an altar that they would ruin the, the kosher altars that were probably used in the days of the Mishkan. They had been ruined. And so they had ruined the altars. And they're killing your prophets by the sword, Elijah says. And we saw, of course, Ezevel. In the last chapter, it said that she murdered the prophets. And I've been left alone, he says. Of course, he's alone because all the other prophets are in the caves hiding out um, from Jezebel. And he's alone, that he's on the covenant. He's the one that they're looking for. He's the one who's acting now. And therefore, he is alone. And they, and they are seeking my life to take it. So that's what he tells Hashem, that he's been zealous, the Jewish people are sinning, and, and I'm alone, and they're trying to kill me. Now why does it say, v'yivakshu, they, in the plural form, they are seeking my life. He should say, she is seeking my life, Jezebel is seeking my life. It should be in the singular form, but that could go back to what we saw Rabbi Kahana say, v'yar, and he saw, what did he see? He saw that the Jewish people weren't helping him. He has no backing. And so because he has no backing, it's like they're part and parcel to Jezebel's plans. So because, again, they're not protesting. It's in the plural form. They are seeking my life to kill me. So we see that Elijah is uh, explaining himself to Hashem. Now, according to the Malbim, he remains uh, loyal to his method. The Malbim said that Hashem asked him, Elijah, why aren't you amongst the people? And so he's simply answering Hashem and he's saying, because of my zeal, it prevents me from fulfilling your mission. I want to go out to the people, but I can't because I've been zealous and now they're after me to kill me. So that's how the Malbim understands it. And he's going to repeat this verse again in a couple of verses from now. So we'll look at it again. So now let's go to verse 11. Hashem says the following, Vayomer, and he said, Hashem. Hashem says, go out and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, what happened? The Lord passes, and a great and strong wind, splitting mountains and shattering boulders before Hashem. So that's what Elijah sees. He sees this strong wind that shatters mountains and boulders. But Hashem is not in that wind. That's what verse 11 tells us. And then it continues, verse 11, And after the wind came a lot of noise or an earthquake. But Hashem was not in that earthquake. Verse 12, And after the earthquake, there was fire. But Hashem was not in the fire. And after the fire, what was there? Called the A still, small whispering voice. So verse 11 and 12 have to be understood. Obviously, something very deep is happening here. 
Hashem is bringing over important message to Elijah. And we're going to try to figure that out in our next shiur because these verses are more esoteric. What does it mean that he was, uh, the glory of Hashem is revealing to himself through wind, through earthquakes, through fire. And then it says a small voice, that's where Hashem is found. What is that all about? And we're going to check that out in our next shiur. Stay tuned.